We are exploring the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation of who is this king in Scripture, the compelling king, our mighty creator king that will not be thwarted. You know, in the past few weeks here, I've been sort of describing where we've been at, and I wanted to make sure we put at least a visual to it as we're getting further in. So let's throw the first piece up. This is a little bit of a visual. We're going to talk about it from a literary perspective. See the line that's rising up and then falling down on the other side, right? That sort of pictures literary-wise, right, in literature. That's the storyline as it goes along. So in the beginning, we had the exposition, sort of the introduction, the creator king. And in the middle of his creating, Genesis 1 to 3, we see him literally speaking, and it is, and it is very good. Everything perfect because he spoke it as such. And yet, by Genesis chapter 3, mankind on the scene, well, we kind of go our own way, we do our own thing, and the willfulness of man stepping aside from that sort of sends, thing on a, sends things on a spiral out. And it's not that God's lost his sovereignty. It's the sovereign king of the universe working with mankind and with their will in the midst of it. That was just the beginning of the story, what they would call the exposition. Then you go into the rising action. And uh, we hit the next piece. Go ahead and throw it up there. This is basically the Old Testament, okay? And we talked about it as the preparing king. Hey, we could have broken out into 50 sermons there. But basically, we broke it down to one sermon. We talked about Exodus 12, how God is revealing his holiness and his purpose and his forward-looking plan to have a replacement payment for mankind. In Exodus 12, it talked about the Passover lamb and how on Nisan the 10th, you choose that lamb. And by the 15th, that lamb is sacrificed. And then that blood needs to be applied to the doorpost. And whoever's done that will experience God Almighty's wrath passing over them. It's a picture of what was to come. The preparing king spending his time through the Old Testament. Then we talked about the beginning of the Gospels, the serving king. He comes onto the scene, literally the unbelievable, supernatural God of the universe, bursting onto the scene, clothing himself with humanity and saying, let me serve you. Not I will be served, but let me serve you. As he begins to show and demonstrate his love and his compassion and his plan and his forward looking thoughts. The serving king. And that was through the Gospels. You see that all over in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And towards the end of each of those Gospels, we then see the story of the climax. The sacrificial king. This is the turning point in the story. This is the moment where everything changes. Up until then, it's been talked about. Now it's occurring. Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, sacrificed for you and for me. The climax turning. Why? Because now there's a way provided. His shed blood as a replacement payment for us. We can literally be worshiping him for all eternity and experience forgiveness. Then we go into the falling action side. I I always joke about this term a little bit. It sounds kind of negative. Like, why do I even want to read that part? If it's falling action, it sounds boring, right? The reality is after the climax, things have been resolved. We're headed for resolution at that point. As it's then heading, that's going downward, so they call it falling action, and we call it the interceding king. This is where you and I live. We're living in the falling action of the story. 
We're living in that part of time where Christ is literally showing himself to be king. He's on the throne, right? He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is interceding for you and me as our advocate. He's defending. He's basically standing before Satan when we're accused and saying, No, that child is mine. She is my daughter or my sister, as Jesus Christ would say. She is mine. Defended. That's what he's doing right now for you and for me. And obviously more than that is he pours into our lives the interceding king. But it's the falling action. And isn't this true, right? We, we read the Bible and we kind of get hooked up in the epistles and, and maybe some of the gospel stuff. And as we read it, we kind of read it like this. Well, obviously it's going to be all about me. So what do I get out of this? How is God going to work with me today? And we're beginning to change the story into a me story when it's really a king story. And we can't lose sight of that. Today, we're actually going to start the beginning of the resolution the coming king. Jesus Christ is coming. And we're going to be hitting this in Revelation 19. And here's what we need to keep in mind. 100%. Got to keep it in mind. Can't lose it. It's not about me. Just say it with me. It's not about me. It's about my king Jesus. And he's coming. He's returning. There is hope. That's where we're going to pick it up today. Our compelling king, Jesus Christ resolving the problem that we have in front of us in the storyline, sin and its destruction. So let's start out. Revelation 19. We've got the ushers coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, okay? Just get their attention. They'll get one to you. We're going to go Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. What do we need to know about the king of the universe and how he's resolving the problem? First, Jesus Christ, the king is coming. Jesus Christ, the king is coming. Absolutely essential that we understand that. And let's get it in context here. We need to make sure we understand. We talk about him coming, Revelation 19. There's some things that have happened before it. There's seven years of tribulation that are going on before that. There's the church being raptured out, taken away so that believers, well, They're with him. And so who's left on earth is those who are literally saying, no, it's not going to go your way. And I'm not giving you my heart and I am in rebellion. And we need to keep that in mind that the earth is now being confronted because they're standing against and refuse to recognize him for who he is. The tribulation is now ending and Revelation 19, 11 is beginning. That's when the coming king comes. The second coming is at the end of all, the end of the tribulation. Best way I could summarize it is this. Sin and evil, they're basically at a maximum. And it's time for the king to bring it all to a close. Revelation 19, verse 11. Listen to this. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That's the beginning of introducing the King who is coming. Let's just break it down. 
starts out in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened. Remember last week we saw heaven opened, but John was invited up. This time heaven is opened and Christ is coming down. This time much more is going to take place. Before he was introduced to the throne and power worship, this time Jesus Christ is coming to make sure it's going to be had everywhere. That's what's going on. Notice it says, and behold, a white horse. Now, what we need to understand here is that white horse is a symbol for victory. The generals used to often ride in in a parade on a white horse saying, we've won. In fact, when a general got on a white horse riding out for war, he was saying, it's guaranteed. We will win. That's what's going on. Victory. That's the word. So do me a favor. Just say the word victory. Victory. All right. Get ready because you're going to need to say it after I read the word white horse. Let's start over here. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. That's what we need to be seeing when we're reading this. Okay. It's guaranteed. He's going out on a white horse. It's a done deal. Victory. Next. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. There is a rider on this white horse. And he's got some names. Faithful and true. Faithful. It means firm in adherence to promises. Absolutely trustworthy. Faithful. True. 100% accurate. Never wrong. Always right. That's the one riding the horse of guaranteed victory. Faithful and true. Now listen to this. And in righteousness... He judges and makes war. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. Some wars, well, they're not very righteous. Some wars are all about man fighting man, and they're pretty evil at their core. This war is all about righteousness. And in the end, it's about justice and goodness and the rightness of things being put in order. He is making war. The one riding on the horse. Oh, and it's all about righteousness. That we need to grasp. He is faithful. Adhering to his promises. And true. 100% of the time. And he is making war. With righteousness. Now notice in verse 12. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. His eyes are like a flame of fire. This is. The King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus Christ coming in return. And his eyes are like a flame of fire. I wrote this down. Picture flames of fire in a couple different categories. Let's think about it around a campfire in the night. It's a darker night. The fire kind of lights up the darkness. It divulges what is in the darkness. That's a piece of what's going on. With his eyes being flames of fire. There is absolute discernment to right and wrong. His eyes are like flames of fire. More than that though, weapons. Flames of fire. Burning anything and everything in his path. One of the commentaries I read this week said, He can take out any rugged fortress. Including the heart of man. Ouch. May that not be our heart. As we stand before the king of kings. But his eyes are like a flame. 
of fire. On his head are many diadems or crowns. He's wearing a lot of crowns. And I was reading through this a little bit this week, trying to figure out what that actually means. And they said probably the best example of it is when kings conquered other kings, they literally took their physical crown and said, mine now. And there are times then when they would walk around saying, I'm wearing the king of Iraq's crown. I now own Iraq, right? You see what I'm saying? And so they put on these different crowns. And when he's wearing these many crowns and when he's carrying the many things that had to do with owning these nations, he was saying, I am over all. That's who I am. Do you see what's going on here? I'm in charge. Welcome to the king of everyone. He was wearing many crowns. It says that he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. You'd be amazed how many books are written trying to guess the name that no one knows but himself. Question. If you open the book and they're like, I think the name is. Do you think they're right? Do you think they're right? Uh, no. Why? Because no one knows. Why are they spending their time, right? This is one of those where you need to write a book that's like one sentence long. We don't know. That's the answer, right? Like, just enjoy it. He's the one who's got a private... Maybe he'll never share it with us. We might be in heaven and be like, what's the name? He's like, that's for me to know. We're not going to share that one. right? I don't know. if When are we going to hear it? Maybe never. I can tell you this. He's got a name that no one knows. Why tell us that? Isn't that like, I know something you don't know? Why, why tell us that? Well, one of the reasons might be that it actually indicates authority. Did you know there's things I know that you don't know? That kind of authority. There's things about me I know that you don't know. I'm in charge. Trust me. You want to lean on me. He says, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. Now, there's a lot of surmising on this, and there's really two sides to it. One are saying, I think maybe it's the blood of, of Christ, crucified. But I don't think so. I think this is the blood of the captors. And it's an indicator of what's coming. I'm lame example here, but the movie The Patriot was on TV. Okay, so you get to see the TVized version. All right. But there was a moment where there was some pretty big... Well, he was wreaking havoc with a hatchet. It was brutal, okay? And he gets done, and he's got blood all over him. And he stands up and turns around, and his kids are looking at him. And their eyes are like saucers. They're seeing their dad in a whole new light. You know what I'm talking about? They're seeing him as warrior now, and blood everywhere. It's the kind of guy, when he stands up and has blood everywhere, you sort of go like this. It's cool. You know what I mean? He has taken his clothing and dipped it in blood ahead of time and putting on the robe saying, it will be reaped today. And when you grasp that sight, you literally take your horse and go, this one. Do you know what I'm saying? It's move away. We're not going to hang around that guy. The guy's got warfare on his mind right now. Like bloodshed big time. And that's what we're talking about. This is the blood of the captors. He's just making that up, Tim. Isaiah 63, verses 2 and 3. says he will be covered 
with the blood of those that he will crush. I'm telling you, this is a time and a scene of unbelievable power and authority and war. And we need to get that straight. There is a time where the king who has created, just by speaking, where the king who has been patiently be preparing, where the king who has been serving and sacrificing and loving and giving. And when we think of Jesus, we picture that photo where he's turned sideways and there's this little painting and he's got this soft image and, and nobody's got the painting where he's coming as reigning king. Where is that one with the blood dipped, blood soaked, fire coming out of his eyes, crowns all over him. I will reign. That's our king. He is coming to reign. Amen. We better grasp that peace and those who are standing against him. Uh, don't want to do that. Check the name at the end by which he is called the word of God. John chapter one, verse one says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God, Jesus Christ, faithful and true. He's the one on the horse returning with guaranteed victory. He's our reigning king. You know, this week I was looking for an illustration or a summary and I found this written up by Warren Wearsby. He's coming to reign. Sitting in Revelation 19 in that perspective. Listen to this. First he came on a donkey. Now he's coming on a powerful, victorious white horse. First he came with tenderness and tears in his eyes. Now with fire in his eyes. First his blood was shed. Now his robe is covered with the blood that will be shed. First he spoke words of grace. Now He speaks with justice and victory. First, God's wrath was on him. Now he comes to deliver God's wrath. Jesus Christ, two comings. First as lion or lamb, second as lion. He is coming to reign. Make no mistake about it. Our king will rule. That's who we're worshiping. The one who has shown us love, but will have absolute authority. That's our Jesus Christ. Our challenge, knowing that he's coming, is simply this. Humble yourself before him. Grasp who he is and trust him. Faithful and true. Question, how does it affect your everyday life? How does it affect work? When we get ready for work tomorrow and we're walking in and the same guys are mouthing off the same way that they used to and the same statements being made and maybe your boss is mistreating and whatever's going on and how does this perspective change your approach? It's no longer, oh no, you didn't, right? The whole respect thing. It's now, hey, I serve a king of kings who was absolutely disrespected. And I'm going to continue to respect him with all I got. Lord, I'm not sure why you called me to this moment. May I grow in it and be more like you. May you be glorified in my life. The king is coming. 
Let's put our hearts in his hand. Second, he is coming with unmatchable power to reign forever. He is coming with unmatchable power to reign forever. Verse 14, it says, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him. The armies of heaven, they were following after him. Like, who were these guys? I don't know, but I can guarantee you at a minimum, you got the angels, you probably have believers, believers that were even raptured up. You've got this collection of people who are hanging out in heaven, and they're all basically getting a chance to go to the stable and select out a white horse to get on so that they can ride in. What does white horse mean? So hang on, here we go. Verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That was weak. You ready? Get ready. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about mount the horse and get ready to cry out, victory is ours. Notice this. It says that they have fine linen, white and pure, but it doesn't talk about a weapon. They're only on white horses. He's basically saying, hey, you guys want to go for a ride? That's what's going on. Like, I've got the responsibility here. Come along for the ride. We're a whole different kind of army. We're the army that's coming along saying, you wouldn't believe who this is. We're the army coming along saying, that's who I worship. We're the army coming along saying, my king is coming to reign. That's all we got, man. We're just there to testify to his awesomeness. That's our job. The weapon, well, the weapon is mentioned next. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which no, which, uh, which to strike down the nations. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Fire in his eyes, sword in his mouth. The king is coming to reign. It says that he will strike down the nations with this word. You see, that's what we have to keep in mind. I think oftentimes we think of this whole scene and we begin to picture like a big heavy battle. And Jesus Christ is going to have to really bring it. And we might even have to help him a lot. And there's going to be this huge war. Just remember this. The king of kings said, let there be light. Bam! There was light. He spoke creation into existence. How might he end the rebellion of creation? The spoken word. He has an unbelievable power. To simply say, enough. And it's done. That's the patience he's had for all those years. Is hanging on to the right time where a single spoken word puts it all in perspective. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. I mean, we're talking millions and millions and millions of rebellious hearts and lives ended with the spoken word, the sword coming from his mouth as he literally says, now's the time we're done. What will happen then? 
He will rule with a rod of iron. He will rule with a rod of iron. Revelation 2, 26 and 27 says, The rod of iron, well, it's like when earthen pots are smashed to pieces. Ruling with a rod of iron is not some guy walking around with a rod of iron and looking authoritative for some reason. Ruling with the rod of iron is crushing what's in front of them that puts up rebellion. Ruling with the rod of iron is breaking into smithereens that which stands against. Ruling with a rod of iron. It's not a place you want to be under. Absolutely not. Notice he says after it, He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. What's a winepress? Picture this kind of trellis or something and ropes hanging off of it, pieces of wood, and you grab the ropes and you pour grapes all over in the floor of it. And then you take off your shoes and hopefully you've washed your feet and you step in and you just begin to walk on the grapes and you just tread on the grapes and you hold the ropes, probably because it's a little slippery after it gets slimy, I'm guessing, right? So you're holding on to these ropes and you're just continuing to crush and all the juice gets crushed out of them and the floor is kind of sloped so the juice runs off and into buckets and they capture it. And that's what they use for drink. The wine press. Well, what is the analogy here? Notice it says the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God. So the trellis, the structure is the very wrath of God. The very fury of the wrath of God. I wrote two words down. Fury, what's it mean? It's extreme. It will not relent. Wrath. The goal is destruction for those standing against. The fury of the wrath of God is the wine press. The one standing in the middle stepping is Jesus Christ himself. The king of kings stepping and crushing. And the grapes are the rebellion are the people standing against him and saying, "Uh uh-uh, you don't have my heart. I will not worship you, king. It's going to be about the created, not the creator. And that's who stands under the very wrath of God. His feet stepping and crushing. The juice that would run out of the grapes is the very blood of them that are resisting. This is a violent, violent picture of what's to come. There is absolute punishment to pay for standing against him. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of all kings. Like every single king bows to him. King of all kings. Lord of every single Lord everywhere. He's over all. He's got it written on his robe. Absolute authority. He steps in, and I don't know where it's written. Picture it on the back. Picture it running down the sleeve, however you want, right? So maybe if it's a little more cool factor, it's down the sleeve nowadays, right? So he's got this King of Kings, Lord of Lords written there, right? He's also got a tattoo going on. You're like, I don't believe in tattoos. We'll talk about that later, okay? Jesus Christ has a tattoo on his thigh that says, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Of lords. That's who I am. 
It's in my wardrobe. It's on my very being. I am the one who reigns over all. That's who I am. Everyone under me. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. His robe shows it. His thigh shows it. His mouth shows it with the sword. His eyes show it with the flame. His white horse shows it. His armies from the heavens by the tens of thousands coming down show it. He is coming to reign with all authority. He has unmatchable power and he's going to reign forever. You know, we need to grasp the hope that we can have in a king like that. As we face our troubles each day, as we face the world around us each day, we can quickly become in, you know, I would drop into my little Tim world. And everything's about how it affects Tim, right? And, and all of a sudden we're in this, hey, how come I was treated that way? How come this happened that way? Why did God allow this circumstance that way? Me, me, me. And, and that's not what it's about at all. In fact, we have hope of a king who's going to right this world and set everything straight as it should be. We have a king who's going to make everything right. That's our hope. There was a guy named Eugene Land. He was talking to a sixth grade class in Harlem. And as he went to talk to the sixth grade class, his goal was simply this. Let's get some more graduates going on. Typically, 80 to 90% did not make it through and graduate from high school because of the nastiness of what was going on in the society there in Harlem. And so he created this nice little speech and this big challenge, and he had it all set. And as he got in there and saw the faces of the kids and saw the hearts of the kids in their eyes, he realized it ain't going to work. So he changed his speech. And his speech simply became this. Don't drop out. You give it your best shot. You try. Do this. You graduate from high school, I'll pay for your college. I'll pay for it. He was a self-made millionaire. He said, I got it covered. This class right here, I'm telling you this. You graduate from high school, I'll put you through college. That class, 90% graduation rate as they went through. Hope. As they talked to the kids and one of the kids was interviewed as a senior. What's the difference? They simply said this. I, at that moment, I will never forget it. My heart leapt with joy as I realized I got a shot. This could really work. If he's going to make good on that promise, then look what could happen. And then he weighed in with all he had. That's where we can be as we stand before our almighty and his promise. We have a king who's literally going to make everything right. And in the moment, you might feel like something's not going the way it should. And in the moment, you might feel like, man, this work, this school, this, this family, this whatever's going on. Why is this? Lord, you are going to make everything right. I will follow you with all I've got. I'm going to trust you with all I have. May I look forward to an eternity where you're worshipped in perfection. And until then, train me, grow me, and shape me each and every day and each and every moment. His unmatchable power, his authority to reign forever. May it bring hope 
as we see him reigning over all. Look, I got to tell you, all too often we think of the war as being good and evil. And they're about equal. Mistake. Bad, bad thought there, right? Like it is not equal in any way, shape or form. And the moment he speaks, it is all done. Trust in the Almighty and his unbelievable authority in this world. Let him give you hope in each and every moment. We have a king and he's coming to reign. Amen? Amen. That can give us hope. Third point. Oh yeah, he will be victorious. Third point. He will be victorious. This unmatchable power, his reigning, he will absolutely be victorious. Check out, starting in verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. There's an angel and either he's silhouetted against the sun or some divine thing is happening where he's literally standing in the sun. I'm thinking it's a metaphor right here. And he's standing silhouetted against the sun. And there's this whole sequence of armies down below preparing to go to battle. And this angel stands up in the sun silhouetted and cries out with a loud voice to the birds that fly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Remember, only those that are in total rebellion are left. And he's talking about their final destruction. It says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. This is the amazing piece. Can you imagine being on the beast and the armies standing there? You're like putting the bit in the horse's mouth and you're getting things set. Maybe you're pulling that sword out and you're sharpening it one last time. You know, the and all of a sudden you see this angel stand up in a silhouette against the sun and say, Come, birds! Get ready to eat the flesh of the dead below. And you're like... <laughs> right? Can you imagine that moment? I think we should just keep going, maybe. <laughs> right? Put that in the sheath. You look over to your leaders like, Are we on or what are we going to do, man? That's a pretty scary thought right now. The birds are going to be eating us. And so here's the answer. It says that they were standing to make war against him. That's verse 19, verse 20. And the beast was captured. Like, that's it. There's not even a definition given. Why? Because, well, probably because it was one word from the spoken mouth of the king of kings. As he comes in on the white horse and pulls up and says, Capture! We're done! And he's done. And can you imagine now you're standing next to him on the horses? Okay, now what? Turn and run, right? Like, we got to get out of here. There is absolutely no statement of any battle whatsoever. He was just captured. Done. And then it says, the beast was captured and with it the false prophet. And then here's something that took place in prior chapters here in Revelation. Who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. He was distracting worshippers from going to Jesus Christ himself. And he's going to pay the ultimate price. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The lake of fire. 
the place of eternal torment. How? These are the first two sent there. The beast and the false prophet. As they rise up against, well, not really. As they stood there and said, we're going to make war. And, and it took not even a verse. I, the writer, like John in Revelation, he's like, he doesn't even spend a verse describing it. He doesn't even describe Christ riding in and some of the fear and some of the thoughts. and put. No, he was just captured. I mean, there's nothing. Nothing went on here. This was nothing. This was the final stand-up of created against creator. Nothing. That's all. That was taking place. And in the end. It says verse 21. And the rest were slain by the sword. That came from the mouth. Of him who was sitting on the horse. One weapon. Jesus Christ. One shot. One word. It's done. And all the birds. Gorged on their flesh. Battle done. We have a king. Who is coming to reign. We have a world that wants to talk about self. How many self-help books do we have on the shelf, right? Anytime you walk down the shelf, it's all about me, me world. How can Worship me, think about me, right? And as we wrestle with me and more about me, then we start making work about me and we make family about me and we make the whole world starts to, and everybody's got the world trying to revolve around themselves and The freedom in this is this one thing. It's all about him, not us. Did we have an awesome time of worship last week? Amen. That was power worship as we simply recognize this one thing. It's all about him. May he get the glory. May he be worshiped. Lord, you've got my attention. And as much as I can help it, I'm going to turn to those around me and help show them how awesome you are. It's all about you. May we sing of our King. May we sing to our King. May we literally celebrate that we don't have a King who is weak and trying to figure it out. We've got a King who speaks and it is. And he speaks and it is not. We have a King who rules over all. And our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords, he is returning. Amen. Oh, yeah. And he's returning on a white horse, which means that's what we're talking about. We've got a king with guaranteed victory. May we worship him with all we have. He's resolving all the world's crises under his feet, under his control. It will be, as he says, in his way, him worshiped. And here's the beauty of it all. He has designed us to be so satisfied as he is so glorified. That's what it's all about. May we glorify him. And in the midst of it, we gain that elusive satisfaction we've been running after for a lifetime, trying to make it about ourselves. Make it about him. Amen. The king is coming. Let's worship him with all we've got. Let's pray.